0: This like, you know, you have this one person who comes from this one background, you know, of deep, you know, deep rooted, you know, racism and seeing it and growing up and living through it. And then you got, you know, they're, you know, the next generation, you know, being able to talk to them from another country and being like, you know what I did today? I w- Last night I walked down the street and I didn't get shot.
1: What's up, y'all? You're listening to Thorn In My Side and I'm the host, Asa Featherstone Fourth today we got a good episode man uh i got to speak with jerry manning jr aka curbside jones who is a musician photographer uh, sound engineer just all-around artist um who comes from a military family so he's bounced around but because of that he's got a lot of experience that we talk about he currently lives in austin texas but has dreams of living in Japan, where he's visited a couple times. And we talk a lot about the relationship he has with that space, also the differences um, in how he's treated both in Austin, Texas versus Japan. And we have a really good conversation just about the, the work that he's doing, creativity as a whole um and just who he is as a person man and i think you'll hear throughout this conversation that he's really thoughtful and intentional about the work that he puts out and what he wants to say with the work um so i think this is something that you're really going to enjoy i enjoyed it i had a good time a quick side note man i don't know if y'all can hear but my dog roshi he stays snoring throughout this whole intro bro he's got no respect for the craft man i keep trying to get him to wake up and be quiet but he's just like this is my show too, bro. I gotta give me a studio ASAP. <laughs> anyway, yeah, th- this is there's a lot, there's a lot to cover here. So let's just jump into it, man. Oh, and as always, man, I gotta shout out to y'all for support. Thank y'all for listening. okay now let's jump in. Curb, man, what's going on with you? Nothing much, man. You know. Uh just out here trying to make it as best as I can.
0: How are you doing, man?
1: I'm good. We uh we just got uh, like a, we just had like a crazy snowstorm last night uh, here in Cincinnati. Oh word! Yeah, so we got like I don't even know how many. I, I want to say maybe six or seven inches maybe last night, and it came out of nowhere. And so like, it's it's like I'm, I'm kind of bittersweet about it because one like snow, you know, it can you know mess up the roads and stuff like that. But I always say like with the with the weather and stuff like that, like I I'm not a person who likes the cold. Especially if it's cold for no reason. So if it's just like cold, windy, and you ain't got nothing to look at, I'm like, what's going on here? So Mm -hmm. at least we got something cool to look at. We got a bunch of snow. There's tons of people outside kind of enjoying it. It's kind of people's excuse to, uh, um, you know, get outside the house because everybody's been locked down and stuff here. So it's all right, man. That's why we had
0: snow for like, we had snow for one day. It snowed,
1: like the day before it snowed, it was like,
0: uh, I want to say it was like, 70 or 80 degrees sunny birds out butterflies <laughs> and then the next day it snowed and it like melted
1: within the next day and then it went back to being like
0: 70 80 degrees
1: yo how does that i remember i think i saw some people um because you're out in texas right
0: yeah austin
1: like, yeah i was like i saw some people that posted like snow like and y'all just had it for that one day like how did that even oh, did yeah. they have an explanation on how that even happened <laughs>
0: No, that's like uh, that's Texas, bro. Like, you know, it'll be, you know, like 70, 80 degrees. We are here in shorts and short sleeve shirts. And then the next day it's like 40. And then it'll go back up to 80 again, like that's just that's just how it is.
1: But snow is not normal for y'all, though, right? Like, what are y'all winters normally like?
0: Uh, we had snow, like, I want to say we had snow in Austin, like, maybe two years ago. Oh, okay. A year ago, two years ago. Yeah. Um, but winter for us is like, it'll be cold, like, for maybe two or three weeks, you know, you bundle up, and then after that, it's back to normal.
1: See, I'm trying to get on that program, man. Like, our winters are kind of late, so, but the cold weather starts in, like, October, November, but we don't get snow until, like, late January or February. So, we literally have, like, it's like five months where it's just, like, freezing for no reason, and it's just, it's it's rough, but it does make the summers and stuff more enjoyable, so, nice. it's cool, um, but anyway, let's, like, let me just jump into it, first off, man, I just want to say, I just want to hear from you, like, hear your origin story, bro, because, you know, the name Curb, bro, Curbside, like, I ain't gonna front, bro. I ain't gonna hold you. That's the that's like the coolest, the the coolest nickname or stage name, whatever you want to call it. Like it's so smooth. Like I love how that sounds. I wanna know like what where'd that come from, bro?
0: That's crazy because I was actually thinking about changing my name uh maybe a year or two ago. Um, but the origin story behind Curbside Jones kind of came during like this um it was that transitional period between like your my late teen years and then like my twenties. Um, because before I was Curbside Jones, I was rapping under the moniker CBTV, uh, which stood for Carolina Boy TV. Um, and I was doing that for a while and I kind of got known for that. And it was kind of like, you know, this, uh, I would say my style back then was really like colorful, like in your face and stuff like that. And when I went to go like reinvent myself, I was working on like my second, like, self-produced project and it was called bum life and i was doing a lot of sampling of like marvin Gaye, al green like all this kind of stuff and i was getting more in touch with like the 70s um era of music and stuff like that and i was watching like black exploitation films and everything and i you know noticed that like all the you know people's last name were like jones and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and i was like oh that's pretty cool so uh one day I was in the car with my parents and uh, we were headed somewhere. I don't remember where we were going. And um, they had the soul station on, on the radio. And then it just hit me. And I was like, yo, I'm doing this thing called bum life. And like, what, like, what, like what environment does that look like? And I was like, oh yeah, like the curbside. And then I was like, yo, what if I was just like curbside Jones? And it's like this whole black exploitation, like, you know, uh, character. Um, and I kind of played off of that for a little bit. And then it kind of just stuck in um, like every man um, being, um, you know, not trying to be bigger than what you really are and stuff like that.
1: Nah, that's fire, bro. I, like I said, I love how that sounds. That's, no, nah, that's, I really appreciate that. But you are talking about, um, you are talking about switching it up?
0: Yeah, I was talking about switching it up because, you know, like that was like, you know, Curbside Jones was literally, I put this project, I put that project out in uh, 2010. Um, and it was like right before I had moved to Austin to finish college and everything. And that was just like my twenties, you know, being curbside Jones and everything. And then, you know, um, I turned 30 last year. So I was like, yo, like, you know, I might be, you know, entering that new chapter of life. So I was like, you know, I might want to go under something else, but I feel like the branding behind curbside Jones has been, you know, 10 years plus in the making. So it's like, I might as well just leave it
1: where it's at. I feel it. I mean, it's not. I mean, I feel like there's never like a right or wrong time because you see, you kind of see it a lot. Like you'll see it in the music industry and in the sporting industry. People get to a certain point, but if they still feel like that that name doesn't represent this era that they're trying to lead, then like they can, they don't change who you are. I mean, you just change your name. I mean, that's you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always a possibility.
0: And it's also largely inspired by uh, Richard Pryor. Um, the skit that he's got uh for a uh, super Nigga. Mm -hmm. Mm. and that was that was really kind of like what made me uh stick with the name because i was like yo that is hilarious and i was (laughs) like yo like what if i just had like the superhero that's like a like you know your bum like he's showing up late to the the scene and stuff (laughs) like that after the situation's already over (laughs)
1: trying to yeah so just hitting all the tropes and all (laughs) that that'd be pretty tight though uh that's what's up that's what's up so you're in austin and have you always been in there? Or? So I was, you know, raised in a
0: military family. Um, so, like, I bounced around a lot. So I was born in Germany. Um, I left Germany when I was two. I started living in North Carolina in Fayetteville. And I was there for nine years. And then I moved back to Germany. But I was in a different part. I was born in Heidelberg. And then I was living in Mannheim, uh, Um for like almost five years. And then I moved to Killeen, Texas. Mm -hmm. Um, And then after Killeen, Texas, I moved to Temple, Texas. And then after Temple, Texas, that's when I moved out to Austin. So I moved to Austin in 2010, um, just to further my education, because I was in college at the time. Um, So I ended up moving out to Austin to uh, this HBCU out here called Houston Tillotson University, um, just to finish up my undergrad and stuff like that.
1: I feel it. So what's like the like so out so before Austin like because it seems like you're kind of you're you're kind of you've been there for a while but before that how long were you able to stay because I know like in in different locations I know like being in a military family I'm sure y'all like didn't know when y'all was gonna have to move and stuff like that mm-hmm. yeah I was in North Carolina for nine years okay
0: so I was there for a good chunk and then um, so I was basically from elementary all the way to well, no, that was like, you know, like kindergarten, pre, you know, all that all the way up until like fifth grade. Mm. And then I did sixth, seventh, eighth, and I did ninth grade in Germany. Okay. And then came back and I did my 10th through 12th in Colleen, And then after I graduated high school, that's when we uh, started talking about moving to Temple. So I was for my first to my second year of college, I was in um, Temple.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what so like, you know, that's kind of hard to be able to have to move around, but I'm sure y'all probably just got used to it. But what what was it like? Was it challenging for you to kind of develop a community when you're growing up? Um. So
0: my first time really experiencing that was like when we moved from the States back to Germany, Um. you know, like all those friends you grew up with in elementary school and all that. And you got to kind of leave them behind. And you're probably never going to see him again and stuff like that. Um, that was really hard. Um, and then leaving, of course, Germany and coming back to the States and kind of just starting all over again, like, losing all those friends. And, you know, um, I will say that it, it was hard, but it was, like, a, a, a gift and a curse because, like, I was able to, like, be able to make friends. Because it, it puts you in a situation where it's, like, it's either sink or swim. Like, you're going to be the new kid at some point. Mm-hmm. So, like, you, you got to really you know, work on your personal skills. You got to work on like, you know, all that kind of stuff. So like you can get over that, that hump of always being the new kid. So you got to make friends pretty quick. Um, I think that that helped me as far as, as being like a musician as well. It helped me as far as being like a public speaker, because like, I'm not afraid to get up in front of people and speak. I'm not afraid to like, you know, like in a setting, like I don't, I can walk up to anybody and just start talking.
1: Right. Um, that makes sense. So it, it did
0: in a sense, it's kind of like hinder as far as like you know having that grassroots like thing that most people have because they grow up in an area and they stay in that area mm-hmm. um it kind of hindered that but it it put me in a mind state of where it's like okay I don't really have technically a home so I gotta think bigger than just a home um and that's why if you look and see like at my collaborations and things that I do I work with a lot of people outside of uh Texas mm-hmm. um I've always kind of had that worldly view because that's kind of what, you know, my life has been. So it does suck to not have that grassroots, but I am grateful that I was able to make those connections with people like outside of Austin and outside of, you know, my immediate community.
1: Yeah. No, I feel that I feel like there's like, you know, for for one thing that you maybe don't have as strong, you get so many other things. Like, I feel like since you were able to, to bounce around a ton that you were able to, be well-rounded. You were able to experience different cultures, languages, um, just different people, which doesn't happen often when you have always been homegrown in the same place. I feel like that's like um, that's a thing that I see a lot, and when I pay attention to just people who are here in in the states, from you know mm-hmm. traveling abroad to travel to just kind of being here, is that there's a lack of understanding of other experiences, um, and so maybe you do mm-hmm. have a strong community here but you lack perspective because you haven't either had the opportunity to venture out to see mm. other places or even begin, to, like you just don't have the opportunity to have conversations and see other things and it's like, do what you're saying, like get you know, put yourself out there to see and hear other things so that you can be more understanding of the holistic human experience, so. When
0: I was in Germany, I you know, we traveled a lot cause you know, it's cheaper to travel once you're already in Europe um, oh, yeah. and you're already there cause you could just hop on a bus and go anywhere. Um, so while I was there, like, you know, I got to experience like, you know, France and, uh, Italy, Spain, uh, Switzerland, basically like anywhere that was, you know, within reasonable bus distance, you know what I mean? Like I was able to experience those places. Um, and, You know, a large part of me now being an adult, like that bouncing around kind of like, you know, I'm at the point now where it's like I'm ready to leave Austin. Like I've been here Mm -hmm. and it's like this is the longest that I've lived somewhere. Yeah. So I'm like, yo, I need to like pack up and go see something else. You know what I mean?
1: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I feel you. And what's that like? So what is that like? Do you have you got some somewhere in mind that you want to go? What you want to go to or you just kind of just want to leave? Man.
0: Before this pandemic and before Cats in Atlanta was out here wilding, it would have been Atlanta. <laughs> yeah, Cats in Atlanta well. are wilding too much for me, so I am going to put that on pause until they get everything they need to get in order and stop wilding. Yeah, um, they need so to, they just stay Atlanta inside. was. Yeah, you to say it's not gonna happen, but <laughs> yeah. so Atlanta was number one. And then number two was going to be um, Japan. Um, okay. Oh, so dude, that was okay. a, yeah. That's, yeah, a, that's a bigger commitment than, mm-hmm. you know, moving to Atlanta. So that's kind of something that's on the back burner. Like it's something that, you know, uh, me and my wife talk about quite often about like, you know, like once we get to a point where, you know, we're. uh You know settled into the parent life and settled into everything and like you know if careers and everything pan out then that's what we want to do or we'll just do it like where we just retire you know somewhere on the Mm -hmm. countryside and just be chilling
1: over there yeah that's fire bro that's like um that's a dream spot for me to visit you've been there before right Uh, yeah i went twice i went in
0: uh 2017 uh for our honeymoon And then we went again for our anniversary the following year in 2018.
1: Man, because like a lot of, you know, I feel like for um, at least throughout my circle, I don't know what it's like for yours. That's always been like a pocket dream for people, at least within like the black community Mm -hmm. to go to Japan yep. just because of all the influences coming up, you know, from, you know, anime and manga and stuff like that. And just like the different yep. foods and the culture and the colors, like, you know, it's a place where I'm just like at some point, man, I need to go there just to just to be. And so you know, like I'm, I'm you sure You gotta do it. Yeah. It's life changing. Really life
0: changing. Like it's one of those things where like I always kinda like I don't know about you, but like You know how like when you when you do stuff so much and you get kind of caught in that that rhythm of like this this is my everyday. um, That's kind of what you know. I get into that sometimes. I'm like, yo, this is my everyday. Like going to work, going down the same highway, seeing these same buildings, seeing Mm -hmm. these same you know everything. And it and sometimes like I'll sit back and like I'll be driving and then I'll just go on like autopilot and then I'll start thinking about. like japan and i'll be like bro i'm big sad right now (laughs) i need i need to get back and that's like the motivation though it's like you know what i'm working i'm doing all this but you know what i'm able to like like save money i'm able to do what i need to do and when the time comes like i'm back out there and it's like something that keeps me motivated be like because that's how like impactful you know i mean it was
1: I feel you, man. Um, dude, that's like, I mean, I have a similar situation. Like I haven't been to Japan, but um, went to Hong Kong um, two mm. two years ago now. And I kind of had a similar experience where it's just like, where it, it was so refreshing for me to be in another space that was so like unfamiliar, but also very vibrant and energetic yeah. and just like, there's so many, Hong Kong's a special place because they are there have um, like different settlers and stuff. And so like they've been, you know, conquered by like, the, you know, taken over by the British at one point and then also China. So there's like a mm. interesting mix of people there. And so, um, mm. That was also really refreshing. I was like, dang, this is like low-key, like a, a legit melting pot because so many people just kind of come into this one spot at once. And I was like, yeah, I think about that a lot because like, yeah, me and my fiance, we talk about it all the time. We're like, man, we see the same buildings and like the same people all the time, mm-hmm. man. We need, we need to just, we're, yeah, we're having similar conversations and we're trying to figure out kind of like our transition too because after, yeah, I think, you know, to your point, After a while, man, depending on who you are, it's just like you, you, especially if you're used to it, it's just like, you got to see something fresh. You got to see something new. You got to continuously like challenge yourself, um, and just be in new environments. Cause then when you get sedentary and complacent, you, you stop progressing. And I think that from what I'm hearing, that's like one thing that I feel like you, you probably value highly. So.
0: Especially with like the art and everything, man, like, you know, when, I'm, I'm a big, I'm a huge fan of living life and then creating afterwards. Mm. Um, and that's where I draw a lot of my inspiration from to create and just everything is from like living life. And I feel like if I'm not living life or if I'm not, if, like if I don't have anything to write about, then I'm not going to write. Like if I haven't had those experiences, if I haven't had those conversations or anything to really spark that, inspiration that I'm not gonna create because I don't wanna I don't want to force it I feel and right. um a big part of that is um you know one of my favorite artists is yasin Be um formerly known as most deaf mm-hmm. um the old like you know like you said about like Japan like the whole thing is like we grew up in that era like I was born in 1990 um uh, I'm not sure how old are you uh 26 so I was born in 94. okay okay so you're a little bit after but like you know, born in 1990 and like being, you know, alive to experience that first wave of tsunami mm-hmm. and like be yeah. at an age where you understand it and like you're able to like really like comprehend its impact. And I could do a TED Talks on this and, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> but it's like that era can never be replicated ever. Mm-hmm. Um Not in today's time because it's just we have internet we have too many things too many yeah too Um, many things
1: pull your attention yeah i feel it okay i'm not sure if we truly express the importance of toonami as a generation defining medium so if you're not familiar with toonami it was uh like a branch off of cartoon networks programming Uh, i think they were mainly big around like late 90s early 2000s for certain sections of the day mainly in the evenings they would play um, anime and uh, other japanese cartoons that weren't previously accessible to kids in america at least not mainstream the programming was led by this like android mascot named tom who kind of evolved and changed his look throughout the years but he was kind of like the the face of the Tsunami program everything about Tsunami was just like new and different and it really opened up the world just for people like me Obviously, that like Curb and just a whole gen- generation of kids who are now doing a lot of creative work. I, I would say 80 to 90 percent of the creative work you see from people in our age group is influenced by Toonami. Cartoon Network was definitely on to something. Now. But all right, enough nerding out. Let's jump back in.
0: Yeah. So it's like that was a moment in time. And, like, I'm the type of person like, I like to draw from moments in time. So, like, that, you know, was the the building blocks of that is, like, okay. So Yasin Bey, you know, I was uh, – I got into his, his music out of order. Mm. Um, okay, not out of order, but, like, I, I started with The New Danger, um, which I feel like was a really, like, left-field project to start with, especially, like, at the age I was. Mm. um the only reason why i bought it is because i had a homie that was like yo bro you got to get into new york rap bro to listen to too much southern rap bro get into the new york rap bro so i was like okay okay so i was like whatever dude so i went and i um went to the store and i ended up buying two albums and i was like yo i'm gonna try this whole new york rap thing out um and i ended up buying um the new danger uh-huh and I want to say it was um, Talib Kwali's quality album.
1: Mm. So I ended up
0: buying those two, not knowing anything about Black Star. Oh, not really? Knowing anything about any of that. So I ended up, yes, yeah, so I ended up buying those two. Oh, and dang. that was like my first experience with New York, like rap. So I did not like it. Like I was like, yo, this is trash. Like this <laughs> dude is like, listen, yeah, like he's doing like rock stuff. He's doing right. like blues he's, and mm-hmm. what he's singing like that. You know it's trash so as i got older my taste changed and i went back and listened to it and i was like yo this isn't that bad so then i was at the store and it was like right before i ended up moving from colleen and everything and i went to the cd store and this you know of dating myself and there you know like back when they had stores to buy cds go in there and um just looking through the albums and then i see the ecstatic and I was like, "Oh, okay, I know I know this artist. I've heard their music before. I've heard them feature on things cuz by then like Yasin was like on, you know, Kanye stuff and like, you know, other cats. So I was like, I've heard, you know, him on other things like hip-hop related." Right. So bought it, went home, listened to it, didn't like it. And It was just so like left field again. I was like, yo, this is too left field. This dude is rapping on like Middle Eastern sounds. And this is before (laughs) even I knew who Madlib was. So I didn't even know who Madlib was at the time either. So yeah, so it's like I got hip to Madlib through this album and oh no and like Dilla. Like that's how I got into Dilla was through that as well, because he had a beat on there. Cause I'm, you know, the type that likes to read the inserts and everything. Oh yeah. So Time went on and I'm still just kind of like, I don't know about this album. So I kept listening to it, kept listening to it. So then I ended up going online and I ended up finding this documentary about uh, Most Deaf. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but he has this uh, documentary where he goes to Japan to tour the Ecstatic album. Um, It's about like 40 minutes to an hour or something like that.
1: Okay. So I looked up this documentary and it's called Current Music Embedded Most Deaf Japan. Super easy to access. I found it on YouTube and I watched it and it's actually really good. Um, Whether you like his music or not, I think it's worth checking out. I'll leave a link in the description as always uh, in case you get curious. But yeah, I highly recommend. Okay.
0: I'm watching this documentary of him in Japan performing this music. And for whatever reason, maybe it's because of like the infatuation with Japan and everything like that, it hit so much different mm. watching the documentary and i was like yo i was like this is dope like this album is actually pretty good like you know like watching documentary so after that i kept listening to the album listening to the album so every time i listen to that album it takes me to that place when i'm mm. the documentary and it takes me to Japan. Right. and that's what it reminds me of so having you know like that's like a, a moment in time so when i create you know, that's what I want to create. I want to create a moment in time. Like I want people to like, remember, okay, this is what was going on in my life when I listened to this. Now I'm listening to this and this is where it's taking me. Mm-hmm. Um, so like taking it all back, you know, so we're talking about like, you know, becoming stagnant and everything and staying in one place. Like like I feel like you like for me I have to experience like the world I have to get out and do things and everything like that so I can kind of like reset and then once I reset then like when I write and when I like think about like even like with my photography and stuff like that like I I want to you know take things that I've seen, you know what I mean, and try to recreate it in a new environment or, you know, architecture maybe in a certain place. And then now when I'm in, you know, back in Austin, I'm looking for that same architecture. I'm looking for the same lines. I'm looking for you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so
1: that that piece is very important for me as far as like living
0: life and not being stagnant.
1: Yeah, that's so interesting, man. It just sounds like you perfectly just describe like an experience with art, like that most def, like, that. That's perfect, man, because, you know, I feel I try to um, think I think a lot about photography in a similar way. Um, I'm trying to put this this exhibit together of um, a collection of of bad photos, photos that were poorly taken, maybe Mm. had bad timing and things of that nature. And and I'm working with a couple of people trying to iron out this idea. And they're asking me, like, we're having debates right now about what constitutes, like, bad work, what constitutes a bad photo or a bad mm. image. And um, because cause depending on how you look at it, it can be great. It can be artful, whether whatever you did was intentional or, or not. And so I think the thing that we kind of, like, we're still not we haven't found a bottom line. But the thing that keeps coming up about what's interesting about photography is that it's not necessarily good or bad, depending on you know, composition and things of that nature. Sure, it can be technically good, but what makes the photo good is that moment that it captured and that feeling and that association you get. So you can have something that's like, like like a portrait of somebody at the beach or something that's stupid, out of focus, blurry, whatever. Technically, it's a terrible photo, but it could be a great image based on who's in the who's in the photo, their expression, whether you can make it out or not. And, you know, the conversations and the things that were taking place before and after that moment that kind of is encapsulated in that blurry mm-hmm. shot or whatever. And so I feel like you're kind of like uh, bringing it to the, the music sense. You're talking about this album. It's different now because you have a little bit, you have more context. Context is key when you're thinking about work and when you're thinking about art. And so I think, um, yeah. and when you're enjoying it, I guess, when you see more, you saw more of Most deaf, you saw the environment that he was playing the music in. You're not only thinking about the image or that or not the image, but the but the songs and the structure of the songs. Technically they could be here or there or whatever, but they're good now because you have that experience and that extra story. And so I think about that a lot with photography too.
0: Yeah. And then like when we went out there, I made it a thing for the first trip. I was like, yo, I'm playing the ecstatic the whole time. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm walking around the train station. And I'm like, yo, most dev walked down the street. He was freestyling, bro, to this song right here, you know, everything. And um it's it's not funny, but it was probably like my biggest accomplishment thus far, in my opinion. Other people would probably argue, but biggest, biggest accomplishment was, you know, creating an album after we got back from Japan. Mm-hmm. And then the next year, I put it out on my birthday um, in 2018. And then I put out another one right before we went back to Japan. And then being able to be there and play both of those projects... That were inspired by Japan in Japan mm. was like that was the biggest like flex moment for me to be able <laughs> to sit there and be like, yo, bro, I'm in Japan listening to me rap about my first
1: experience in Japan. <laughs> yo, it's <was> crazy. Like <laughs> that's amazing, bro. Oh man. <laughs> that's so sick, man. And didn't you create um another you kind of you could do a little bit of everything, I think around that around japan right because didn't you also incorporate some photography as well yeah i did two photo books i did one photo
0: book that was kind of more so like a um it was kind of sort of just like something that i created for like listeners to kind of get some context behind the music Mm -hmm. um and it wasn't supposed to be anything serious it was actually like my first serious photography venture Um, I had always dabbled um, with photography. Um, The only reason why I stopped is because back in like 2000, I wanna say 2012, 2013, somewhere around there, uh, somebody had broken to the apartment that I was staying in at the time. And they stole my, uh, I had a Sony NEX, Three Sony NX five. Don't remember the number, but mm-hmm. it was a Sony. I was on the Sony Wave. Just so people know, I was on it
1: before everybody else was on it. That was um, like right around when it was <laughs> right before it got hot.
0: <laughs> yep, I had a Sony. I had a Sony NX, and somebody stole that, and they stole my iPod, my my iPad, Dang. and. I was like, bro, I was like, are you serious? But, you know, I got renter's insurance and stuff. So I just hit up the insurance company and was like, hey, like here's the serial numbers. Like someone, you know, broke into my apartment. I had the, you know, the, um, I had the the case number and all that from the police and everything. And they're like, all right, cool. Sounds great. As long as you got the serial numbers, whatever, we'll look into it. And then like within like, you know, two, three weeks or so, they were like, all right, cool. Here's a reimbursement for the camera. Here's a reimbursement for the iPad. Oh, what? Um, Dang. You know, so that way I could go and, you know, rebuy it. So I ended up n- not buying a camera. I ended up, well, let me rephrase that. I ended up buying my wife a camera, um, because she was talking about getting into doing YouTube and like all this and that. So I was like, all right, cool. Well, you're gonna need a camera and all that. So I ended up just buying her a camera and then I just pocket the, you know, the money from the iPad and everything.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so that was the only camera that we had. And that was a Canon, uh, T3i okay um so that was like a really decent camera at that time mm-hmm. um so when we went to japan the first time we had took that camera and um i had shot with it whatever and that was like me learning how to shoot on manual and all that kind of stuff and then right. put out that book and it was just like whatever and then the second time we went out i was dead set on like i'm going to create a photo book like it wasn't one of those things that was like an afterthought. It was like, no, like I'm going out here and I'm going to intent, make a photo book yeah. and I'm going to shoot these photos. Yeah. And that was the intent. So ended up doing that. And then I ended up putting that out with the um with the with the project. And I I had three that I had sold uh to the public via my band camp. Um and then the other ones I just have on the the manufacturer website. So you can just buy it straight from there. Um it was great. Um, I kind of enjoy, enjoyed the experience. It was a good learning, you know. Um, and then when we came back, I had finished a book and I had it in my hands. And there's a Japanese um, bookstore here in Austin um, called uh, Kuno. What
1: is it called? Anyway, is I forgot what it it's called. it Kuno anyway. or something um, like that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think, they, I, I think I went to one in New York or something. Kino Kunya. Okay. So
0: Kino Kunia, Um, So I went up in there and they have a section for like local locals and stuff. And I was like, yo, they got a local oh, okay. section. And I was like, yo, I got a book. So I was talking to my wife. I was like, yo, I'm about to shoot my shot, bro. So we went in there one day and I had the book in my hand. I was like, yo, I know y'all, you know, do locals, blah, blah, blah. Like, here's my book. I shot it, you know, all the photos myself. I edited them. I did like, you know, the writing and everything. And it's about Japan and whatever. So I gave it to one of the sales reps and they were like flipping through it and they were like, like, all right, cool. I'm going to take it back to our manager real quick. And he, the GM just happened to be there that day. So she takes Dang. the back and then he comes out and he was like, oh, is this your book? And I was like, yeah. So we just started talking and everything. And he was like, yo, it's good. He's like, I, I wouldn't mind selling this in the store. And I was like, what? Wow, and I was like, so you want to, he's like, yeah. He's like, just uh, let me know. like, Here's my card. Just let me know what the wholesale um, price is for the book. And then we'll just work out all the you know logistics after you give me that number. So then I was talking to you know my wife and I was like, yo, like I can have my first book in the store and like it's crazy and like da-da-da-da-da. So then I started thinking about it and I was like, man, and I started looking at all the other books. And I'm the type of person that I always feel like a need for improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter what, you know. This is my second book, and I was like, Do I really want this to be how people know me for photography?
1: Mm.
0: And I was like, yes, I was like, yes, it's decent. It's decent, like it's a good book, the pictures are good. But then I was like, this isn't, this isn't like something like that. I feel like if I look back on this in time, like, will I still enjoy this? And at the time, I was really into podcasts. There's this podcast called The Collective Podcast, and it's by this dude named Ash Thorpe who does like 3D imaging and he does like all this other stuff. And he also does like photography and stuff too. So he went out to Japan. Uh, I think the same year I did. And he ended up doing a book on Japan. It's called Nihon. And when I tell you, bro, that book slaps so hard <laughs> because like he does movie, he does movie stuff. So okay. like his color grading, like his like opposite, like everything is so good.
1: Mm.
0: And I was like, there's no way. I was, like, I was like, if, and I, and I told my wife, I said, if I was in a store and I saw these two books side by side and I went through them, I was like, I'd buy his book hands down. Like, you no, know, and then I was like, and I was like, that needs to be kind of like, like if I'm going to get something in a the store, that it needs to be you know that great, um, to where I pick myself over someone else. Um, mm. so yeah, that was, you know, those are the two things that came from the photography things that came from like you know when I went to Japan. So now when I go back, like I kind of have an idea. I have new gear now. Like I got a, a A7 you know oh, nice. what I'm saying? So, like, I, you know, I have the gear now. I got, you know, I have, I shoot film now, like film photography. So, like, I have my film camera. Like, I know which types of film I need, especially if I'm going out there. I'm going to have the Cinestill, you know, mm-hmm. on deck all day. You know what I mean? So Like, yeah. I have all the things now, the tools, and I have all the knowledge now. Like, mm-hmm. after, you know, all this time, it's like, okay, now when I go out there, I can make a book that, can be better than the book that you know made me not want to put my book on the shelf
1: right well one of the things that i think that that people don't understand or people underestimate too you got to do more than just take the photos and slap them in a book like you kind of have to have a concept of design and layout and stuff like that mm-hmm. which is also a yes. whole different world too and you know yes like you can have great photos but if they're if they're laid out kind of strange and there's their imbalance and stuff like that then you know it's yeah it definitely changes the way that you look at it on the page too gotta have a really
0: good understanding of color theory.
1: yeah what you know how to match them up like what what the, yeah and also how to story tell because you're flipping through and depending on if you have sections like you have to pick the right images that kind of mm-hmm. you know fit that story so there's a, there's a ton that goes into it but um so i wonder i wonder like and i i feel it i feel what you're saying do you have a do you have an idea like why do you think that that you uh are kind of so critical or so hard on yourself
0: um the reason why i think i'm so critical and hard on myself is because i know that i have the potential to be great at whatever i i truly invest my time in um which is why I do so much. Like when people look at it and, I, and they ask me, and they'll be like, oh, what do you do? And I'm like, bro, it's a long list. So I'm like, <laughs> I, you know, I rap, I produce, I do the sound engineering, I do graphic design, I do the photography. I just now kind of really started dipping my toes into doing like video work. Um, you know, I do the marketing side of it. I do the, you know, I do all of the things. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's all me. Um, and, all the, the the people that I know, like growing up, seeing them do multiple things, they've been great at all of it. So I guess it's a little bit of comparing myself to people who I really looked up to mm-hmm. um, when I started really doing stuff. Cause I've been doing music since 2005, like recording music yeah. since 2005. Um, and like seeing all these other cats that were like miles ahead of me. And I'm like, bro, like who does your beats? And they're like, oh, I do. It's like, oh, who does this? Oh, I do. And I'm like, what? And like, you do all of these things and you're great at all of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, So I feel like if I'm doing something or if I'm going to put something out, like I need it, like I want it to be great. And that's just for me as well, because like at the end of the day, like I don't want to let myself down. Like okay. I don't want to look back at something and be like, dang, I rushed. Like I rushed this for the sake of, you know, just getting it out. Mm-hmm. Um, There was this uh, photographer Oh, man, I'm blanking on names right now, but uh, he's the one. I don't know if you've ever seen the image of the guy. He's like it's like a black dude and he's hanging the clans member, um, the Klansman over the lake.
1: No, I don't think I've seen that image.
0: Yeah, there was this image and it was like this black guy. And he's like hanging this clans um, member over this lake and everything. And uh, there was this documentary about him that I watched on on YouTube and he said, you know, a lot of photographers talk about wanting to get galleries and a lot of them talking about they want to do all this and that. And he was like, if you wouldn't get your work printed, like if you're not willing to go through the process and if you're not willing to do that and get it printed, then you shouldn't put it out to the world. He was like, there's no point in creating for social media and creating for posts. He said, because at the end of the day, you're going to look back at that and just say, yo, I just created that for Instagram. Hmm. And I was like, bro, I was like, that's I was like, that's deep. And I, and I was like, and I look at my work like that, like, okay, so I made this song and I, you know, or I made this project, would I get this project like pressed up? Would I do that? And it's like, if I wouldn't put the money behind it to do it, then maybe I shouldn't put that out because that's, that's telling to me, like that's telling if like, if I don't, if I wouldn't go all out and do everything I could to get this pressed up or do whatever, then am I just creating this for the sake of creating it and putting it out because I want to stay relevant? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: You know what I mean? Or am I, you know, do I really believe in this? And that really, that shook me. And I was like, bro, I was like, that's really crazy. think Think of it. And I was like, you know, and I started thinking about photography that way. And, you know, I've always kind of thought of music that way of like, you know, because I, I, I'm always about doing merch. I always do it hand in hand. Like if I put out a project, more than likely there'll be merch to tag along with it or something. So it's right. like if I don't believe in putting money behind this project in any way, then it ain't worth putting out. And that's kind of how I felt with that book. You know, like, OK, we're going to do the whole got We gotta do all this and do all that. But it's like, OK, would I would I put money behind this book to like do a gallery with these images or do any of this stuff. And it's like, no, nah, I wouldn't, probably wouldn't do that at this moment until I can get to that point where I can say, yes, wholeheartedly. Yes. I'll put money into this. And I, yeah. and I bet on myself.
1: Dang. I feel like, like we're, and I want to get your thoughts on this too, but like we're in a, um, I feel like as an artist, do you, well, first of all, do you consider yourself an artist? Do you call yourself that? Yeah, I call myself an artist. I mean, it's interchangeable.
0: I, You know, I usually tell people they ask me what I do. And it depends on the sphere of people I'm around. Because sometimes it's like if you start throwing out terms like producer, engineer, and stuff like that, like a lot of people don't know what that means.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: um, Because a lot of people get producers and engineers confused. Um, So I just be like, oh, yeah, I'm an artist. I do, you know, I, I just say I'm an artist. I do music, photography, and this yeah. That um, makes sense. Just so it's like all under one umbrella.
1: Yeah. I feel like we're like in a in a zone where like so many so many of us are like multi-layered now. Like we don't just do this. It's like, you know, I'm a I'm a photographer by trade, but I'm also a filmmaker and I'm also, uh, you know, a podcast host or whatever, you know, community organizer, all these different things. Like, you know, I think artists kind of just like fits into it. But, Your stuff you know it's pretty good by the way too oh I appreciate it thank you man um but I think that's really interesting what you're talking about um you' about this new not even new way but this alternate way of thinking about creating content and the work because like that's so contrary to what the world is shaping is telling us is valuable immediacy and expediency and relevancy mm. is what gets you, things now and it's not building and it's not taking your time. It's like, it's, it's that thing where like, it's crazy because as you know, you know, I try to do that too. I try to be really intentional and purposeful with the content that I do create and the work that I put out. Um, uh, but that sometimes like I get this feeling that like, I'm not doing enough or I'm not doing anything because it wasn't shared Mm -hmm. online or on social media but I'm like, if I were to just crank stuff out just to stay in people's minds, like it, it would lessen the value of what I'm able to kind of put out. And I wouldn't even be proud and proud of it or want to even put it out. So it's, it's like it's hard. The numbers, because, it's, it's the numbers. Yeah. I mean, you see it in everything. I mean, you even see it in like things like um, I don't know if you're a sports person, but I'm not really a sports person, but I love basketball. But you see even in like basketball, they're like changing the Like they haven't. It's been changed, but like, you know, everything is like analytics and statistics and how many points, rebounds, whatever, rather than talking about, you know, how someone actually adds value just by being on the court by doing the things that are intangible and the stuff that like is is undervalued now, especially from like um uh like if you think of it from a corporate standpoint, if you're gonna do some partnerships with big companies and things of that nature you know, they look at like, okay, what's like your, what's your presence? So like, how often are you sharing stuff? Like how many yeah. people are following you? And based on those numbers, do we see value in working together with you? And so it's like, how do you, how do you, it's, it's hard. Cause how do you figure out how to get through and actually show that value without feeling the pressure that you have to just go and put out mediocre stuff just for the sake of being relevant?
0: Yeah, it's, it's a tough, it's a balancing act, man. I feel like, you know, and I think a lot of the cats that I look up to as far as, like, artists, they they do take mad long to put out stuff. Like, you, you know, like, Mad Lib takes a while. You know, he yeah. just put out something recently. But, like, he's kind of just like, I'll put it out when I put it out. Like, I don't mm-hmm. really care. Like, it's going to come out. It's going to do what it's going to do. And I'm going to go right back to creating, you know, Yasin, same yeah. way. Um, R.I.P. Doom. But Doom was same same Doom way. Did like, the same. you know, like, we'll yeah. put it out when it comes out. Yeah, and it's like you know, not playing the you know the the politics of everything. Like you know, I'm not gonna even sh- sh- show you my face. You know what I mean? Like I just <laughs> right. focus on just the music.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, man. So I, I take a lot of stuff like that, and I think about it, and I'm like, yo, like these cats are successful and they're they're all successful in their own ways i mean granted most you know Yassine did have his breakout in hollywood and everything like that but like they're all successful in their own ways in my opinion like i think when you start looking at what success means to you um and what goals you have then you become a little bit uh more at peace with that whole like not rushing and not doing this because you're like you know like for me like when you put out like when i put out something it's like i'm not really putting it out for uh the uh the numbers or anything like that it's like yo i'm putting this out because i'm really proud of it Mm -hmm. and like i want to inspire someone to create something great as well
1: yeah and it's like
0: if that happens and i put it out and if somebody is inspired by it and they're like yo bro like i really like what you did i you know i went and did this thing, or I went and did that thing, or, you know, I created this song, you know, because of this, then like, I, that, to me that's like success because, you know, that's, like you said, it's taking the the things that you really can't quantify. Like you can't quantify that. You can't quantify someone being inspired. Right. Um, it's just what it is. Um, and I think once you get to that point and you're creating and everything, like when you have a clear a goal that's not based on metrics, then it becomes so much easier to be at peace with something once you put it out. Cause then your expectation isn't, okay, I want to get, I don't know, uh, 300, you know, retweets on this one video clip that I put out. It's yeah. like, no, like I want to put this video clip out and I want to tell this story. And if somebody engages with that story and they're able to tell me like, of you know, something like, you know, Oh, when I, when I watched this, it reminded me of blah, 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 blah. know blah, you know, blah. So like, t- to me, that's a success. Cause mm-hmm. even just getting, engagement in this day and age is like super hard like it's like somebody you could drop something and literally two seconds later someone can retweet it even though the video is like two minutes long and I'm like I know you didn't watch this yeah and it's like what did you you know I always ask people like how do you really feel about it you know Mm -hmm.
1: what I mean right they do it they they're the ones that are like retweeting it so they can stay relevant not even necessarily because they like the work they're just like yeah, we saw it and this is part of a conversation. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna try and be a part of this too so I can feel involved man, it's a dark it's a dark hole, man. <laughs> it's a dark hole for sure <laughs> yeah it's it's wild but but then again, I think to your point in doing things, taking your time and um in in doing and releasing content, if we're talking about that when you're ready. You don't need to seek validation from anybody else because you put everything into it. You're pleased with it, and like you said, if somebody else does have something. That's only icing on the cake, you know. No amount of reshares or whatever is going to be able to change how you feel mm. about how you presented your work. Yeah, me and my man's Dexter Fizz. He's an artist out in uh, Maryland. Um,
0: kind of tying it back to this, the whole like putting it out whenever you know you're ready. Um, we had like started this project with uh so the original idea we were supposed to go on tour in japan last year that mm. was the whole thing he hit me up one day and back in 2019 he hit me up in 2019 was like hey bro you want to go on tour in japan and i was like okay uh yeah sure <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just let me know and i'll take off from work i got no we can just make this happen so he was like yeah and like we had this like lineup of like artists that you know wouldn't you know a pretty good look you know Um, um, And then that kind of just all like fell apart Like the guy who's supposed to be the touring manager Kind of wasn't doing his job and like it, was, it turned into me and Dex doing all of the work. And I was like, bro, like, if we, if we, me and you can sit down and figure out what are the good venues and do all this and that. And it's like, at the time, he had new you know, producers out there and everything. He was like, yo, I can get the producers to come through. They can do beat sets, and then we can rap, and we can do this. And I said, all right, cool. Like, it sounds like we got like a pretty good basis of doing this on our own, so let's try to do it on our own. Mm-hmm. So then we ended up linking up with a uh, Japanese rapper, uh, Laugh Life. And uh, two-man group, Dan and uh, Oog. So we were like, yo, like, what if we had, like, this whole tour, you know, based around... What if we had it based around doing um, Japanese artists and American artists and kind of making it this whole bridge, you know, between the two cultures and, you know, all these things? And he was like, yeah, it's a good idea, it's a good idea. So we started working on the project and, like you know, some of the American acts that we had on board kind of fell off, but then we ended up picking up, you know, more Japanese acts and stuff like that. So we ended up, Dex was like, you know, we started talking and he was like, yo, we, we could do an EP with these cats and then turn that EP into like how we powered the tour. Mm. And I was like, yo, that's a great idea. So let's get started. Um, so we started that at the top of what, 2020, like in January, I got started just making beats and like sending them out to, you know, everybody and, you know, tr- doing a Dropbox and like, yo, drop your verses in here, I'll start mixing, I'll start doing this, I'll start doing that. And it ended up turning into basically all of, what, 2020, we worked on that project. Um, mm-hmm. And it was only supposed to take like maybe two or three months because we were going to do it and then we were going to try to tour off of it like in the fall. So we wanted to put it out and then, you know, and we just had this like sense of urgency at the beginning and then me and Dex were talking and I was like, you know what? I was like, you know, people, you know, were really mad at, you know, the coronavirus saying that it kind of ruined a lot of things for them and everything. I was like, yo, this was actually a blessing. I said, because this forced us to take our time yeah, because we could have rushed the whole process just for the sake of the tour and put it out and I said, it wouldn't have been half as good as it is now. Like I basically had all this time to mix on it. I had all this time to like really tighten up the production. Um, We ended up enlisting, you know what I'm saying? Some uh, Japanese producers on there. So next Friday on the 19th, we're gonna do like, cause we ended up getting it pressed to vinyl. So we got the vinyl pre-orders popping. So it was like, all of this stuff happened because we, we slowed down. Right. We slowed down and was like, yo, let's just focus this thing and let's focus on making it like a really great offering so that way it's kind of undeniable when it comes out and then like if we can get the tour popping off of this like later on like whatever that'd be great um but at the same time it's like we're really proud about what we put out and you know that was just like i said taking your time and like slowing down and realizing like a lot of this is a lot bigger than what's right in front of you
1: Mm -hmm. i wanted to ask you I don't know if you've noticed or thought about this, but you have a lot of experience with in with Japan and in um you know, whether working with them or going there to visit. Do you ever like and this is curious for me because I'm considering going there and visiting too. Like not considering it's going to happen, but what's the perception and like what's your relationship with that space as a black person, as a black man in that area? Does it feel different? Do you notice things? Like what's up? What's up with that experience? You know, I think everyone's experience is different and unique
0: to them. Um, I've heard horror stories of people going in, you know, over to Asia and, you know, being treated all kinds of wild ways. Um, however, in my experience, it was not to the extreme of some of those stories that I've heard. Um mm-hmm. You know, honestly, like when we went over there the first time, I was sitting next to this old lady, this old Japanese lady on the plane. Um, it was like my wife was on the, she was by the aisle, I was in the middle, and then by the window was this old Japanese lady. So the flight is 10 hours. Um, so I'm the type of person, I don't really sleep on flights. I don't know why, it's just not comfortable for me. Same, um, they same have, like, yeah. mad They have like mad movies on there. So I'm sitting there just marathoning movie after movie Mm-hmm. And stuff like that until I like got, actually got tired. And I ended up taking some Ziclo. Didn't help. Um, so while we we're on, you know, I would have snacks and stuff. So I would share them with this old Japanese lady that's sitting beside me. And oh, I'm just like, cool. "Hey, bro, you want some chips? Like, <laughs> hey, bro, you want some? Food? Yeah, hey, bro, you want some? You want a drink? And let me ask the, the stewardess for a drink. You want something too? Like, you know, I was just, you know, like <laughs> we was there for a while. So i was like, we might as well just be friends, right? Um, so we're getting ready to get off the plane. And then um, we're like getting our stuff together, and then she like stops me, and this is the first time she like really spoke to like me the whole entire flight, and she she was like, oh thank you, and I was like, oh I said, like, oh no you don't, don't worry about on trip, and mm-hmm. then she was like, uh, here you can have this, and then she like handed me this uh, like sushi. Keychain that she had, and she okay. was like, "I hope you have fun in Japan." And I was like, "Oh, snap! Thanks, bro. That's
1: tight." Um, <laughs> okay.
0: So, like, that was like my first experience before we get off the plane. So then we ended up uh, getting off the plane. We ended up taking the uh, the train to uh, to Tokyo to get to where our hotel is. Um, well, we took the bus. I'm sorry, we took the bus the first time to get to the hotel. The bus drops us off at a different hotel um, because the hotel that we were were at like was on a street so they couldn't park the bus on the street so they ended up parking it at a like a garage that was kind of close to the the hotel so we get out of the the bus we're standing there looking stupid with google maps pulled up <laughs> like where are we at bro? Right. <laughs> i don't know anything what's happening and at the time my knowledge of the language is very very small so like there were certain things i could understand but like it's still i was lost in the sauce mm-hmm. um and there was like this. Middle aged, like business dude, a salary man. He's just standing there and he's looking at us. And I noticed that he's looking at us. And then he walks up to us and he goes, Where are you trying to go? Okay. And I was like, Bro, you're trying to go here. So he points to the phone. He goes, Okay, follow me. So he ends up basically walking us all the way to our hotel and everything. And I'm like, Bro, like this dude literally stopped his day to walk two foreigners Dang. to their hotel. Golly. Um, walks us to the hotel, we get to the hotel and everybody, you know, everything was great, you know. Um, so then that trip, and, and then we ended up seeing some uh, Nigerian dudes. Um, oh, fire! was, yeah, there's a pretty large Nigerian population out there um for whatever reason like we were in harajuku and they (laughs) approached us on the street and i hate to say it but i knew from the jump i was like yo they about to be scamming bro so like they came up to us and they was like you like like nike like like, oh i I already know what it is i was like you can't you can't do it to me because i already know like bro like we're from the states bro like i know how this goes right um And it was just really interesting seeing that. And I was like, that's crazy how like that, you know, whole culture and community has been able to like assimilate in, you know, Japan. Right. Um so that was, you know, it. And then like the 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 as far as being a black person, I felt like it was not a big it wasn't a big deal to people because I feel like the big city like in Tokyo, like there's mad, there's mad tourists, you know what I'm saying? Like all yeah, the time. Yeah.
1: yeah. So it's
0: not uncommon to see a black person. It's not uncommon to see like a dude from France or whatever the case may be. Um, Now, once you leave that and you get like 10 minutes out and you're like basically in the middle of like people have this, I don't know, maybe cause I'm ignorant or I was ignorant. Like I, like people have this perception of Japan where it's like everywhere is like Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Um, Everywhere is a big city. But once you get on the train and you, like I said, you go like 10 minutes out, maybe it's you're in the middle of nowhere. Like mm. you're in the country. <laughs> so right. there's like no, there's really no middle ground. Mm-hmm. So I feel like maybe if we had been out in like the country where they're not exposed to having a lot of like foreigners or a lot of like, you know, tourists and stuff like that, then I think maybe would the experience would have been different. Right. right. Um, our second trip. The only thing that was, like, questionable, what was questionable and weird, we were, like, on the Shinkansen, the bullet train, and we were headed back from, I want to say Osaka. We were headed back from Osaka to uh, Tokyo. And one of the homies that had went with us, he ended up falling asleep next because the way the train works, kind of like a plane. Like, you buy your tickets, and then, like, you just have a seat number, and that's where you go. Mm, Um, So, homie, next you know uh, this Japanese girl and he woke up as she was taking a selfie with like while he was like passed out sleep and like she was in the selfie and he was in the selfie and he woke up and saw it and was like yo what
1: Mm. and then she
0: tried to like put her phone away or what um and then like being on the trains like I noticed like people gave us like mad space like it's kind of like we had this invisible bubble around us, which I wasn't complaining about. Cause yeah. I was like, the trains get packed.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You don't want to be around me. Hey, that's fine, more space for us. Right. Um, but those are the only, like two instances that, you know, I thought about like, okay, this is because we're black. Um, mm-hmm. But other than that, that was it. Like, at, and I tell this story all the time. Like that was the first, like being there was the first time as an adult that I felt safe and I felt comfortable walking somewhere at night
1: by myself in a new place. Mm. Isn't that crazy to say that that you felt that way in a you know in a foreign country where you're so far from quote unquote home. That's so that's so wild to me.
0: Yeah, like I would go on like walks at night like everybody would go back to the hotel
1: um and because
0: you know the time difference is crazy it's 15 hours so yeah. you got or 14 hours so you got to think you just got on a flight 10 hours and then you got 14 that's literally a whole day um so like everybody would like crash early like the first couple nights you know we were there and i was like yeah i'm gonna make the most out of this i got my camera <laughs> right my phone, yeah, go, oh, yeah we we'll go back to the hotel and then I'll be like, all right, y'all, I'm, I'm going to get up with y'all. I'm about to go take this walk real quick. And i would just pick a direction and be like, all right, cool. I'm just going to walk. Mm-hmm. And I would just walk and walk, walk and walk and walk. And like, not once did I have an urge to like look over my shoulder or, you know, really, you know, uh check out the surroundings and know like, all right, if this gets crazy, I can go here. I can hit this street. I can bust this left, you know, do the, you know, all that kind of stuff. It was just like, yo, I'm out here. It's mad peaceful. Like, there are strangers walking by me, but they don't, like, they don't care. Like, they're just so absorbed into their own lives. Like, they don't really care about what it is that I'm doing. Um, And that was, like, the first time in my life that I ever felt, like, that security or that safety. And it's, you know, crazy because it's, like, even, like, in places, like, that are still predominantly Black, like, I still probably wouldn't even do that just because I know like, okay, if the police see me walking down the street, regardless of whether, you know, this is a predominantly black neighborhood or whatever, even if it's a black cop, like the chances of something bad happening can still be very
1: high. It's it just yeah, I keep coming back to it. It's just strange to me that that other places have it have it figured out. And even if it's like, you know, I only want to say figure it out, but like it's just wild that that other places aren't, aren't are do not have systems created against us. Like uh, I mean, like you're allowed like you like just like just from hearing your story and hearing about your experience, like you feel you feel more safe in a foreign space than you do at home. Like I just can't get that out of my head. Like I don't even know I don't even know where to go with it, but you know, just like there's so yeah. there's so many issues with that even within your the neighborhoods of your own community, like racism aside, like, you know, if you're in a white neighborhood and they're looking at you, like I've, I've had so many experiences where I've, you know, either walking or even even if I've, I've been in my car and I've been followed, like in white neighborhoods, I've been followed for God knows what, but, um, you know, and felt uncomfortable even in the safety of a vehicle. And to think that, you know, being in a neighborhood, even with your people, in your community where we're supposed to be supporting and looking out for each other, uplifting one another, it can feel like one of the most dangerous places to be in. It's, it's just like, I don't even know how to, I don't I don't even have the words to kind of like, <laughs> like it's, you know, it's one of those things where like, like we understand this, like we know that that stuff is real, but also I'm just like, mm-hmm. yo, why, like, why is this? Like, why are we like, why do we still got to go through this? Like, why is this still happening? You know, why are there so many people talking about leaving the country to live more successful or better lives? Yeah, I talked to my mom, you know, and I had told her about that because I had like, you know, the I had like
0: FaceTime my parents and stuff while I was out there and I, you know, I had talked to my mom about it and was like, Oh yeah, i are on this walk last night or whatever. And then she was like, You were on the walk at night? Mm -hmm. And I was like, Yeah. She was like in a new like, (laughs) over there, and I was like, yeah, and and then I was telling her, I was like, yeah, like, I was walking, like, nobody, you know, whatever, and she was like, yeah, she was like, had that been in the States, man, they would have saw a black man walk, they would have just shot that whole street up, Mm. and my mom, she's from Little Rock, Arkansas, so, you know, that's like, you know, racist central, you know, they had to have the National Guards come in just so the black kids could go to school, like, this was during her time, you know what I mean?
1: Mm -hmm. So she got
0: got to see that growing up so like her you know uh the way she perceives it you know what I mean she's like you like like she just couldn't fathom like you left somewhere and went by yourself as a black man to walk at night like she just couldn't put it like she just couldn't put it together yeah and and that kind of goes back to what you're saying like it's so sad like when like that can't even be the norm like that that it's so unfathomable like you did what like it's like you know like i disrespected her she's like you did what and I'm like, <laughs> yeah. like, i was like and i had to explain to her like the dynamics i'm like bro like i'm out here like there's literally a police box on every like street corner like if you know and i'm like they they are not really paying attention to anything that i'm doing out here
1: like they right. do
0: not care um and, like, just being able to explain that to her, you know, I thought was, like, really crazy because it's like, you know, you have this one person who comes from this one background, you know, of deep, you know, deep-rooted, you know, racism and seeing it and growing up and living through it. And then you got, you know, their, you know, the next generation, you know, being able to talk to them from another country and being like, you know what I did today? I went... Last night I walked down the street and I didn't get shot. Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just right. crazy, like, being able to have that conversation, like and it's just one generation
1: you know what i mean so Mm -hmm. yeah man it's 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 nuts i think um you know i try to think about it and you know culturally things are different over there like and obviously there's going to be crime but i think that overall i think japan just kind of has a better they have a better policing and uh law system i think over there anyway guns bro yeah exactly
0: yeah can't get a gun however here in texas you got to keep that thing. Like you, it's basically like to be a Texan, it's like, all right, cool. Here's a, a cowboy hat. Here's some boots. And here's that thing to keep on you. Like, it's not <laughs> like, <laughs> that's a part of being in Texas. Like, here's a steak and your side is the Glock, bro. Like, you oh just don't. <laughs> so, Yo, that's crazy. you know, like, it's crazy because it's like, you, you, you would think like, with all the guns available, you know what I mean? Like people wouldn't do stupid stuff. I mean, people still do, but like, it's crazy seeing that culture, which is the complete opposite being like, you're not even allowed to have like only selected officials. And even the police don't have them. They just have the stick, the wand. So it's mm-hmm. like things get hairy, bro. They're just going to hit you with the wand. But even then they don't get that hairy to where they even have to really utilize them like that. You know what I mean? So, right. Dang. crazy you
1: know what you're not even a, you're like it's funny because you're not the first person to say that about uh going or moving to texas like they, it's almost like required for you to be armed there and i'm like i don't want to live in a sp- like i don't know how i could how i could stay in a space like that like like I know, I know you've been there for like 10 years but like what is that like for you man just being uh being who you are in that in that area dog
0: I keep that thing on me my wife keep that thing on her Golly. we both have our concealed licenses so we can carry it legally um like it is what like you know what I mean like it kind of is what it is both of my parents the, her parents like all got they got their concealed licenses like
1: you know what I mean yeah so it's a part of life it's
0: one of those yeah it's one of those things but like it's it's interesting like Texas in general It's kind of like, okay, so when you leave like the major cities and you go to like these little towns, like we went to this place called Fredericksburg. We went hiking in Fredericksburg and it's supposed to be like this old German town, whatever, you know, we went out to Fredericksburg and we ended up coming back a different way than we came. So we're coming back and we're going through like these roads and, you know, we're kind of like back like where people have like, I mean, a lot of people in Texas have farms, but there's like all these farms and there's like wineries and all this and that. So we're headed back in like literally every house that we passed by. And this was, I want to say three weeks ago, we went. Mm-hmm. Every house we passed by had Trump 2020 flags, banners. At one point we saw a billboard, like someone had a billboard of it. All the fences were tagged with these signs that said, pray for America. Um, at one point I saw a Klan flag. At one point oh, we are wow. driving. Someone, someone had... Uh, they took the hay, the hay bales, uh-huh. and they built a Trump out of hay, and then they like painted it and everything. It had oh. Trump twenty twenty, and I was like, bro, I was God like, leave, bro. I was like, I'm glad, and I told her, I'm glad that we're leaving before the sun went down. And Come I was on. like, even though I was like, even though I got that thing on me, <laughs> but still though, like, I'm yeah. glad that we're leaving before the sun went down. I said because had anything happened, bro, we wouldn't make it out of here,
1: nah,
0: and. See. It's the same way, like, if you drive, like, everything is so spaced out. Like, people really don't have a perception of how big Texas is. Mm-hmm. Like, so basically, if I want to go to Dallas, it would take me almost four hours to get there from my place. Dang, that's a whole and other then, state. Exactly. Houston is about three hours or so away. So those drives, like, depending on which way you go, like, it, luckily for Dallas, you can take one highway and go straight from Austin there and just be on one highway the whole entire time
1: okay um houston
0: not the same so houston you got to go through all these back roads and you hit places that are kind of like Fredericksburg, but it's for a pretty long stretch of driving to houston so like if you go at night and your car breaks down at any point and you black you in trouble or if you got to stop and get gas at any point of course you're driving for almost two and a half three hours you Mm -hmm. you could be in trouble you know what i mean yeah um those are the kind of things that I keep in my mind, you know what I mean? Like when I'm moving, you know, throughout Texas, but like when you're in the big city, I mean, there's racism and there's things that happen, but for the most part, it's kind of like that. If you don't mess with me, I'm not going to mess with you Okay. type thing. Um, And I feel like a lot of the times, especially with Texas, like you have, you're going to have black, white and Hispanic people all living in one area. Yeah, that makes sense. Um. There's no, there's no getting around it. Like there's nowhere that you're going to be that's not going to be black, white, Hispanic. Um, Austin is supposed to be very liberal and very like, oh, we're the blue, they call it the blue dot in the middle of a red sea or whatever it's called. <laughs> um, it's to an extent, yeah, but at the same time, <laughs> I think people go to the extreme of trying to not be racist that they still appear racist,
1: to like overcompensate, like you know,
0: like those people that are like, I don't see color, everyone is created equal, and oh, blah, blah, right, blah 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 right. blah. And it's like, yeah. no, dude, like, you are racist, like, you can't say you can't say that you don't see like, you have to see it, like, there's no other way around it. Mm-hmm. And to treat everybody the same, that is not like there's certain things that happen to certain people that you you have to form like you have to see it from their perspective and if you're not willing to do that then you are part of the problem Mm -hmm. um and you run into a lot of that um in my opinion in austin and especially in the music scene you run into a lot of that because we don't have like a lot of black or brown journalists you know what i mean like there's a lot of So you just have these people that are transplants from like Seattle, they're transplants from New York or uh, LA and they come here and they're like, oh wow, I love the scene. I came here for South by Southwest. This is the place for me. Mm -hmm. And then they start working in the music. And then now you have like all these white people that aren't even from here that are trying to write about music that's coming out of here. And it really, you know, um, it really puts creation in a weird space um well yeah it puts creation in a weird space and now we have a lot of uh people that are rising up you know in the recent you know events and everything um that are bringing it to the forefront and being like yo y'all need to pay attention to black music y'all need to pay attention to black artists y'all need to pay attention to like all these things y'all need to start highlighting us because without us there wouldn't be a lot of you know any of this stuff here um so now a lot of you know not a lot okay so now there are some places that are starting to put an eye on black artists and black music however a lot of times it comes off as really performative like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know there was a time last year where they were like oh here's all these black artists that you need to listen to and you know I happen to be on the list I didn't even know I was on the list but yeah, put it like local news that put it out and everything and you know and I was like, bro, they didn't even like write anything about it. They're just like, yo, here's some black artists, because mm. there's a lot of black, you know, stuff going on in the states and a lot of, you know, racist, you know, racist uh, turmoil. Okay, here, here's black artists
1: and this then This is relevant and just push it out. Exactly. And then
0: that kind of died off. And I'm like, yo, what happened to that? Like, what happened to the you know, Bandcamp Fridays being like, yo, here are black artists you need to support on Bandcamp. They started it. They did it for like maybe a month, maybe two months. Mm-hmm. And this was back in the summer and then it died off.
1: Didn't Didn't pick it up again. You mean they didn't pick it up for Black History Month? Come on now. This is the only other I chance I no could... Post... <laughs> I this is their no next post... opportunity. This...
0: Nope. I ain't seen no post this month about no black Artists, um, I've seen Black artists create things and big up other Black artists. I've seen that. Yeah. Uh, but as far as like publications and stuff like that, I I ain't seen it. Yeah,
1: and there's um, the yeah. So there's clearly nobody in those positions, like who are in working at those institutions, those organizations, who can speak with that perspective. Yeah, I had tweeted. I said Austin needs more Black writers to write about Black
0: music for black audiences Mm. and people agreed. But then of course you got those, you know, people that want to be obtuse and be like, well, they should write about all music because if you look at the, the, the I'm like, bro, no, that's
1: not, that's not what I'm I'm
0: saying. And I do my best, which I have trained myself to, I don't even reply to people like that. You know what I mean? Like if I say something like, And I stand by. It's like okay, I said what I said, and that's it. Like I don't need to explain myself. I don't need to. I don't need to go into the historical context of black music and like how it is like literally the basis of all music, popular Mm -hmm. music. Like I don't need to go into like all of that. And I just like I didn't even respond. I was just like, bro, like it just is what it is. We just need more, like you know,
1: um, dude. I hate like yeah. I mean, it gets on my nerves because then everything that we do and we try to stand for has to have some sort of explanatory comma or or you know some sort of description afterwards like yo I'm tired of fighting for this all the time like just trust me understand that you are you can't just like I hate it uh, you know comments like that just proves that people are just kind of trying to shield themselves from coming to the realization that they are in the wrong and that they've effed up and that they don't see things honestly and the way that they really are and people need to be called out on that, but also it's not our responsibility to always be the ones to be like, "No, bro, you have to see color and you have to pinpoint these um specific audiences and these specific cultures because they need to be seen to feel value in this in this conversation, but it's like if we gotta do that for every single person man we're we're so tired and then we we don't have the energy to continue to try to push for what we want to be doing, so it's it's you know no, it's tough, yeah
0: man it's yeah, so that's why I say like Austin is a it, it it really pushes this whole like you know blue blue thinking and forward thinking and everything. But at the same time, I feel like there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. And I and honestly, the population of Black people in Austin isn't really that high either. Nor is it for uh, uh, Hispanic and brown people. It's not that high. Um, they've mm-hmm. all gotten pushed out because of gentrification um so they're all like kind of on the outskirts of Austin I mean there are some that are in it you know on the east side you know that's where predominantly black and brown people are but they're like the gentrification is so crazy and extending out that way that it's like I don't foresee a lot of these people being able to keep their homes I don't foresee a lot of people being able to keep their businesses like Mm -hmm. there's this one business here and I think they offer this dude like millions there's like yo man we'll buy this Piece of land right here. We'll give you some. We'll give you millions, bro, for this. And he was like, "No, nah, I'm good." He's like, I'm, "I'm not gonna, you know, whatever." And he was like, "You know, if they're, you know, gonna offer me millions for this, like it's gonna be worth even more in the future. So I'm gonna just stay here as long Ooh, as I can." Okay.
1: Um. Let's yeah. So it. it's
0: like that's that's what it's turning into. Um, and I know that's happening in a lot of places around the United States um but I can only really speak on it for here because I have seen it like you know I told you right. I went to HBCU um in HBCU I went to uh it's kind of like uh, east of downtown um I went back around that area like back in January I had to go somewhere and I didn't even really recognize the area no more because they built luxury apartments across the street from the college I went to they built parking garages they got all these new business storefronts like it's insane and then like once you get further further down the street and you get to like where this grocery store is h-e-b it kind of starts to look like how it used to look a little bit mm-hmm. older um but then once i went past that they didn't up so much stuff like i can't even recognize it anymore Dude. and i'm that's like that's so wild that you know you know, seeing these places and it's normal to you, and you reckon like you know, it's like it brings back memories because you you know you were there. Like I was at the college. I was used to walking around and doing, seeing all these things, and then like mm. going down and now I'm like, bro, the only thing I recognize is the college. Like I don't recognize right. any of this other stuff, dude.
1: Um, they're doing the same stuff here, man. Like there's yeah. literally, you can literally see it's literally night and day. I gotta you if you ever come down to Cincinnati. And I doubt that they'll do anything to the street by then, but um you'll see it. Like there's a uh, um there's this this real long street called Vine Street in the middle of our city and it's split off like north and south Vine and it's split off by this um this uh this like kind of like a, a breezeway street. I don't even know what to call it. But um mm. so the the part that's south and closest to the river is like this spot that's been like gentrified and you got all these boutiques where like you know the weekenders come and they you know they park their cars in the parking garages and the parking mm-hmm. lots and they you know spend hundreds of hundreds of thousands of dollars on you know getting clothes there's all these crazy restaurants these new like luxury high-rises and you know it's something that people would who are looking for that like you know it's it's a it's the place to be is that vine street there's so much to do so much going on you cross Liberty Street, and literally on the other side of Vine Street, it's forgotten. Like there are so many abandoned buildings, um, some places with doors that you can't even open, and they just been painted over, just to kind of make it look like there's something actually there. Mm-hmm. There's garbage all over the space, um, but it's it's wild because people people still live in those areas, and you can see because there are still like there's like one corner shop up up there. That people all hang out around, and then like outside of that, people are just kind of like chilling on the streets. But of course, it's gonna be you know the black and brown folks who, who have been living there their whole yeah. their whole lives. They it's literally like I'm telling you, man. Like you can literally walk, and and as soon as you hit that other side of the street, you can feel the difference. And the the lights, there's no lights, there's no shops, nothing there. It's just it's just those people who have been rooted there forever, getting treated like you know, second rate. And it's like, man, I mean, you know, from my I position, try. there's only so much you can do, but like, you know, it's just like, dude, how do you how do you as an organization, uh, and redeveloper, how do you see that and be like, Oh yeah, job well done. It's wow. Um one of the things one of the things I do wanna hear from you from before kinda like uh wrapping things up is I do wanna talk to you a little bit about um you did some work Speaking of Austin, um, around uh, South by Southwest, right? You produced a book, right? Yeah. Yeah, what was that project, yeah. man? Um,
0: so a part of me when it comes to photography, I, I would tell people that I'm a street photographer before anything um, just because I like the element of just things being natural and just kind of going with the flow. Um, as far as portrait photography, I'm kind of just now dabbling into like studio, like portrait portrait photography and stuff like that.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, but one of the things that I really enjoy doing is just walking up to strangers on the street and being like, Hey, can I take your portrait? Um, one to work on my people skills and two, to kind of challenge myself to, uh, capture a moment, um, without it being doctored, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I had been doing that kind of photography for a little bit of time, just walking up to people and just be like, hey, can I take your picture? Hey, can I take your portrait? Hey, and hey, you know, I got surprisingly, I get way more yeses than I get nos.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: So South by Southwest was coming around. Um, I didn't have any shows or anything uh, that year. And you know, it had been something that I had been thinking about like so much. Um, about how differently South by Southwest treats black people um, and it treats hip hop uh, during that time. Because if you, you know, they call Austin, the live music capital. You know what I mean? Like that. Mm-hmm. It, and, and I believe it. Because um, you could go out anywhere really and hear live music playing downtown back, you know, pre COVID, whatever. Like there's a band playing, there's at least 100 b- bands playing a night, at least somewhere. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. So, you know, South by Southwest, for those who don't know, is this uh, music festival that is basically comprised of musicians from all over the world. Um, literally all over the world. So you could go out and you can go to an Irish rock show, leave the Irish rock show, go to a Korean rock show, leave the Korean rock show, and then go see ASAP Rocky or go see, like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like, yeah. it's Just that huge music. You know, fest. It's that type of thing. Um, so, what I noticed is that there's this uh, event in Texas, and it's called Texas Relays, and it happens the same month as South by Southwest, except it happens at the end of the month. Texas Relays is basically where all the fastest, um, you know, your runners uh, from the high school level all the way up to the college level come and they compete. Uh, Because all of these people are mostly Hispanic or Black, they bring their families, so you have a large gathering of Hispanic Mm -hmm. and Black people, and, because live Music Capital, what do they do? You have promoters that put on shows just for this Texas relays thing. And then you have all the people go downtown. This is where people show off their cars, you know, their slabs. They got the trunks raised with the lights and, you know, right. swangas and all that. They have all that kind of stuff going on. And it's a really big Texas culture thing. Like it's a big thing. Like people prepare all year for this. Um and it got to the point where it started becoming stigmatized and it started becoming a thing where people didn't want those black or brown people in their venues. They didn't want promoters and bookers doing shows centered around rap music because of the crowd that they would bring, right? Mm -hmm. Now let's take it to South by Southwest a couple weeks before that. South by Southwest a couple weeks before that, the city's eating up hip hop, eating it up, eating up rap, eating up the crowds. Why? Because they're making a profit. Yeah, they get their dollar. billions they're making billions of dollars off of these black and brown people who are coming from you know all over to put on shows or to be a part of shows or whatever and it's often like kind of just pushed to the side and I didn't really ever see a lot of I mean I'm pretty sure people did talk about it but in my immediate circle I didn't see a lot of people talking about it so what I wanted to do was do this uh, street portrait series of the black in brown people that were out during South by Southwest, um, just to kind of put a face on who is basically, who you're profiting off of. Like I wanted to put a face on that and be like, these are the people that are out here. Like mm-hmm. these are, you know, and I, and I tried to capture a large uh, spectrum of black people because when people think of blackness and then they tie blackness into hip-hop or they tie blackness into whatever there's a certain look you know what I mean that they have of okay this is a person you know and I wanted to capture like so many different types of black men black women and put them into this, you know, this book and just have it as something to where people can see and be like, yo, like these are the people. Like when you're walking the streets, majority of the people you're gonna see are gonna look like this. Mm -hmm. Um, And the city has no issue with them, you know what I mean, during, you know, this time, however, regular club time, like even just outside of South by Southwest, like you still have venues that don't wanna play hip hop. You still got venues that even if you do, they do play hip hop. The sound man is not gonna mix the music properly for the artist who's on stage. Wow. They're just gonna leave it like whatever it is, and they're just like, all right, cool, whatever. Yeah, they don't give it the same attention that they give the rock bands or the folk bands or the cover bands or whatever. They don't give it the same attention. Mm. um So I kind of just wanted to make that statement, and you know, and I wanted it to be raw. I wanted it to be very. Um, not like I said, I don't want it to be doctored. I didn't want to have these people pose and do all this and that I wanted to catch them in their element and I wanted to catch them enjoying themselves. I wanted to catch them, you know what I mean, like yeah. in 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 a in a positive light. And like it's funny because the cover of it, um <laughs> the cover of it is great because like I think to me that is the the prime example of like these people are are really out here having a fun time. They're not out here to do bad stuff. You know what I mean? They're not out here. You know, they're out out here to promote them. And it's crazy because I feel like the hip hop artists are the ones who are like the heart and spirit of what South by Southwest is about. They're coming out, they're promoting themselves. They have their entourages that are also promoting them. Some of them will set up shop on a street corner and they'll freestyle. They'll do all this stuff. Like they're really out here trying to hustle and they're trying to get it.
1: Mm
0: hmm. Um, And, you know, I think that piece gets overlooked sometimes, too. But, you know. But yeah, that's what the series is about. It's just a a, a street portrait uh, series of of these people um, that I see or that I saw, you know, while I was downtown. And um, like I said, I tried to capture a wide range of black people um, in a positive light.
1: Yeah, man. I actually I'm going to I need to get the book cuz I actually thought it was great. I thought the the images were they were I think to your point, yeah, they're not doctored, but that's what makes them great. I think, you know, they're natural. And and when it's natural, it's relatable. Other people seeing that will open perspectives to see us as more than dollar signs. See, you, you know, it's it creates an opportunity to be seen um as human, because, you know, just to mm-hmm. just we get we get dehumanized and we don't see it like there's, you know, we we I talked about in an episode or two ago, we are seen as, um, you know, in, in media and cartoons and stuff. A lot of times we're depicted animalistic, and so that can translate oh. into real life too. And so, I think when you see us in natural, honest, real moments it can offer that perspective and i appreciate that's what i appreciate most about it because it's not necessarily leaning into into any any tropes or stereotypes or whatever it's just like this is it man this is who we are and that's you know i respect it a lot because a lot what i try to do in the work that i put out too is i just try to create honest moments that create alternate perspectives because you know when you have a new perspective when you know more you can do better and you can be better and so Mm -hmm. when we're able to show more layers of who we are, people are able to connect with us, which is what people want anyway. People want to just connect yep. and just be together. So just like, you know, you're, the way that you framed it creates a new opportunity for for us to do that. And so I really I really enjoyed that. Shooting it on film was, I think that was the biggest uh, challenge, uh, was
0: shooting it on film because uh, I had, that was like my first printed thing that I did in, on film Mm. um so I was really learning a lot about like different film speeds and like finding my light and like all of that because like I can't retake like like I said it's street photography like I'm not retaking it yeah you know what I mean it's literally all right you have I have my one shot all right snap all right thank you passed out my business card you know whatever and then I keep it moving Mm -hmm. um so that was like the biggest thing. And then also, it's, it, it was a good conversation piece because some of the people that were there, you know, like the, you know, some of the types, the crowds and stuff were like, yo, oh, look at this old cameraman, blah, blah, blah. Like, <laughs> right. You know, yeah, yeah. And then some of them actually, some of them actually felt really like, when I ask them, like they'll be sitting there and they'll have like the hardest like me mug, you know, what I mean, on their face or whatever. And then here's me with the camera, you know, walking up to you, hey bro, you know, can I take your portrait? And then they would look at me for a second, they'll be like, What? And I'm oh yeah, here's my business card, whatever. Of course that legitimizes it because I have a business card. So, right. you know, I bring out the business card and they're like, Oh, snap, dang, this is nice, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, thanks, man. And then they'll be like, All right, cool, for sure, man. And then it's funny because the face that they have before the picture is way different than the face that they have in the picture wow and I think that was probably the thing that I kept so close to me was seeing some of those people like just light up
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and being like oh yeah okay yeah man like you know what you want me to do I'm like no just stand there and then I'll take the picture and then you know whatever but it was just really crazy like seeing like the whole mood shift you Mm -hmm. know what I mean and it's something that i feel like i get when i ask black people to take pictures of themselves and i guess also because like i'm asking you know men as well um because that's kind of like a you know i guess it's a weird thing we talk about like masculinity and all that kind of stuff like another man walking up to a man and asking them to take a picture
1: right. um
0: usually you would see like a man walking up to a woman and asking a woman to take a picture and like hey can i take a picture you know whatever because mm-hmm. that's you know that's just the norm you know right. what i mean um, for like a black man to walk up to another black man and be like, yo bro, can I take a picture? And they're just like, what? And then at first they're kind of like, what? And it then they're throws like, you off. Yeah. okay, yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, we're not we're not used to it, but it also you just, you, in those moments you show you show them that they're valuable and you let these people know that, hey man, your story matters and you matter. And I'm going to take this and document this moment because it's really important that you're here right now. And that needs to be seen and that needs to be told. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's weird and awkward and it's probably awkward because it just don't happen. So, like, you know, we got to we got to normalize stuff like that. You know, I have an idea for a project where um, I want to do something for uh um, document and do portraits of black fathers, because that's a story that doesn't get valued as far as the as far as media and things of that nature go like you know oftentimes the black fathers are seen as absent and gone and selfish Mm -hmm. and i know a ton of black fathers who are the total opposite who are kind caring loving and they you know that perspective also exists too and it's valuable and so i think that it's so important to be able to to push that narrative as well, because that's also a truth. And it's, you know, it just shows that we are more than what we have been told we are. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So, I like that idea.
1: Yeah. Um, But yeah, man, I, you know, this has been a, like a really dope conversation. I think we yeah, can, we sure. could keep going, bro, but I gotta, <laughs> I want to wrap it up. But before we officially, you know, go, I like to get some uh, recommendations, man, from from our from my guests. Just imagine you're sharing something with a friend. You're like, "Yo, I'm like, I've really been listening to this, or I've been watching this, or I'm into this, and I would like to share and it because it, it's been helping me get through this weird year, year and a half, whatever it's been." Um, what stuff are you uh, are you kind of are you digging vibing right now? Um.
0: So one thing that I have been into that I hadn't really been into previously really at any point in my life um that's not music or art related going hiking Mm -hmm. like I feel like I know black people but a lot of the black people I know don't go hiking and it's funny because me and my wife had made this comment because we were you know going up the side of this basically a mountain and we're walking up and then i was like bro there is no black people up here like, yeah <laughs> because black people don't do this she's like that's yeah. what this is what the white people do they're the ones that go up the side of the mountain and fall and stuff like that and I was like, "Bro, <laughs> you know what i mean so i was yeah. like dang you know so we made it a thing where we were like yo like at least once a month we're gonna go out and we're gonna go hiking yeah um, Ooh, okay that's nice yeah. So it's it to me it's a really good way to get in touch with nature. It's a way to get out of the house. And it's also a way to get out and be safe. Um, because you're far enough away from people and also you're in, you know, the open air, you know what I mean? You're not in a confined space. Right. Um and it's just good for like, you know, health wise, like, you know, you can get out and get some exercise get your and everything body moving. like that. Go get some good food after. Um, so yeah, that's the one thing that I'm, I'm recommending, like, if you have like a national park or if you have, you know, any trails that are close to you, um, just taking that time and just getting out there, even if it's only for like maybe an hour or something like that, but, you know, being able to be like on top of a mountain and look down, you know what I'm saying? At the city or look down and be like, yo bro, like we're really up here. Like I did Mm -hmm. this, you know what I mean? Um, and I, I have a fear of heights, which is, you know, so like for me to be able to do something like that, you know, I, it's not like crazy fear because I like roller coasters. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, so I would say get out and hike and, you know, get in touch with like nature and the trails and stuff like that.
1: There's a um, there's a couple of accounts that I follow. I forgot the name of one. I'm going to share it later um, once I remember the name. I know one of them is called Melanin Base Camp. They are... Um, they're like a organization dedicated to black mountain climbers. Mount- I guess climbers, not mount- really mountain climbers, but, you know, people who are... Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so like the climbing culture. And they do lots of um, photography and films around um, uh, black people who climb because they like also that. talk about, you know, how much of an anomaly it is and they try to mm-hmm. encourage other people to go outside and do things of their nature so that's really good i really love what they're doing and there's one more organization i can't remember the name of it but they also are, are more specific on i think camping um but they have like a bunch of merch and stuff like that about being black and being outside so i think it's really great okay i just remembered and the account is called outdoor afro they got a website and an ig and i'll link to both of those in the description Make sure y'all get some of their merch. Okay. And I, I, you know, I've, you know, not recently because it's been, we just got a bunch of snow. But yeah, we, me and my fiance also had just been like, we just been going outside and we just been taking little mini trips, taking little hikes, just walking, breathing, smelling the fresh air. You know, just being able to take those breaks because being sedentary and trying to social distance and stuff right now is just... It's getting. It's also also underrated. I feel like people don't like nature is always there.
0: So it's really no sense of urgency to really want to enjoy it at times Mm, because it's always there. You know what I mean? Right. Um, But going out into it and experiencing it sometimes I do feel like it's a little underrated um, just because, like I said, it's always there. So we don't, it's
1: kind of second thought. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. We got to take more advantage of that. Um, But yeah, like I said, Curb, this has been fire. I really enjoyed just you being willing to share. This has been a ton, this has been a ton of fun, man. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Yo, man. Huge shout out to Curb for that. Really, really, really enjoyed that conversation. And even though we had a full conversation, I still feel like there's so much that we didn't get to cover. So we might have to do a part two to a conversation. Let me know what y'all think about that. I mean, y'all heard it here, he's got a ton of stuff going on, so if you want to stay up to date with what he's got going on, just follow him anywhere at Curbs Jones. He's all over the place. I think most recently, he's got pre-orders out for his vinyl that's coming out on the 19th that y'all talked about. Uh, he's also got a ton of photo books, music videos, merch, I'll be sure to include the links to all of his relevant content below so y'all can check it out yourself. Yo, did y'all hear his recommendations? I know y'all noticed a trend out here. Everybody's talking about going outside. Y'all better take advantage, man. This is a pretty cool planet to be on as long as we're taking care of it. Anyway, I appreciate y'all tuning in. Uh, if you have any suggestions on how to make the podcast better, or if you or know anyone who you want to see or hear on the show, just email me at what's at gmail.com. W-H-A-T-S-U-P-A-S-A at gmail.com. And that's it for today, so before I go, I just gotta let you guys know that none of us have any idea what we're doing. We just become better actors. And with that, I pray that y'all stay safe. Y'all probably hear Roshi snoring in the background. Peace.